I've got a three-point message for you that I think can bring a tuning to your systems. And uh, for this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the work of the evil one. He came to destroy Satan's plans to transfer us out of the kingdom of darkness and bring us into the kingdom of God's dear Son. So at the core of Christianity, it's really, at its essence, a relationship. We who were once not a people have become the people of God. We were alienated and separated, but we've been brought near by the blood of Christ. And that nearness is the privilege. That's the difference between just religion and routine or secularism and routine or a stepping into the uh, threshold and actually experiencing God. You can know about someone, but it's different from knowing someone. You can know about God, but then you can actually come to know God. Oh, that I might know him, Paul said, in the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering, being conformed to his death, in order that I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. It's not that I've already attained it, I've already made, made perfect, but it's this one thing I do, forgetting those things which lie behind, reach, reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on. Say this with me tonight. I press on. We're pressing on together. We're pressing on as a people. We're pressing on as a movement. We're pressing on as a culture. We're pressing on as a local church. You're pressing on as an individual person. You're pressing on as a single person or a married person or a widowed person or a divorced person. Whatever the case may be, you're pressing on. Say, I'm pressing on. And we, I could say, as a church body, we're pressing on under the headship of Jesus to the, to the purposes and the goals and the intents that he has for us. Amen? So I have three points, because the world's crazy, but God is good, and we need to fix our hope on him. And if you're a note taker, you could write these points down, but give yourself space. So I have a few verses and a few points, and then a pra some practical application I want to put in here. Number one point is we're to draw near to God. These are three things that have helped me, uh, kind of adjusted me recently. I'm just going to restate some simple, almost obvious, essential things, but they'll help you. Draw near to God, number one. Number two, obey him. Obey him. And number three, and this is a little bit longer, turn your troubles into prayers, turn vain imaginations into intercession. So, number one, what is the, is the point? Draw near to God. Number two? Obey him, and number three, turn troubles into prayers, turn vain imaginations into intercession. Okay, well, I'm going to expand on that. I'll define some of these terms. But draw near to God is pretty self-explanatory. Draw near to God is embedded in James chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. Take a look at this. James chapter 4 this is some, some one of my favorite verses. It says, Submit therefore to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And now look at this. Draw near to God. This is such an excellent, wonderful, amazing, thrilling opportunity. Can you look at this with me? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Did you read that? What? Hallelujah. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Say that with me. Draw near to God, and he'll draw... What? Draw near to God, and he'll draw near to us? Draw near to God and he'll draw near to us. This gives me goosebumps that God, the most pure, most holy, most beautiful, most wonderful being in the universe is not only willing but desirous to connect with us. 
when God shows up in a person's life, there's a thrill about it. It's amazing. And let me just tell you that when we draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. And it says to resist the devil. It's, first of all, it says submit to God. And I think this really is the order of things. Submit to God, resist the devil. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Don't scream at the devil and be preoccupied with demons and evil spirits and be always... Re We're not primarily called to be rebukers of devils. We're called to be worshipers of God who are, have authority to resist and rebuke and come against evil forces. But let's get the thing in its proper perspective. We submit to God, we resist the devil, and he flees from us by submitting to God. Even right now, tonight, there is a spiritual breakthrough happening. Just even when we first came in the building before any music was played, just the sheer fact that we've come to gather in his name, he says, there I am in their midst. It's a connection situation. Draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. Now, as a pastor, I've been in church for a long time, been a pastor for a long time. I've been in some meetings where there's been uh, different levels of sensation of the presence and the experience of God. And there have been times where I just felt kind of flat and kind of worn out and I remember one time we were singing and there was just, it was praise and worship and I noticed a group of people right over in this area and they were weeping. And it was a husband and wife, it was their first time here and they were just weeping and I was trying to make sure they were okay while they were being touched by the Holy Spirit. And then all the people around them started to weep before God and I thought, wow, I would like some of that because I was just singing some songs, you know what I mean? And uh, I was really grateful for that. Good Friday, there's a young father who went over to the cross and nailed one of his requests and petitions over through the nail on the cross. And one of them was that his son's blood iron level would go up because it was at an alarmingly low level. Well, it's completely normal. That's a wonderful thing. I have seen some of the most wonderful, miraculous things happen when I didn't necessarily feel the sensory reinforcement of it. So listen, fear not, don't be upset. It doesn't say draw near to God and you guaranteed will have goosebumps. It says draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. And God is interesting. God is amazing. We cannot fully describe him. For eternity, we'll be fascinated by him forever. We'll forever. We'll be like enthralled with God. You, you will not be bored. You will be enamored and enthralled. And he wants us to be with him. He wants to have fellowship with us. Theologically, let me explain something to you. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he made humanity in his image. Male and female, he created them. God had no need. It wasn't like God was lonely and had to create companions. God has no need, but we do. We need him. He made us, and we need him. And when we draw near to him, oh, hallelujah. He'll draw near to us. Let's go to Psalm 16, verse 8 through 11. It's just amazing. Psalm 16. We'll, we'll start with verse 7. I will bless the Lord who has counseled me. Indeed, my mind instructs me in the night. Aren't you glad God will give you direction? You get something thrown at you, you got to think about it a little bit. He'll speak to you in the night seasons. Verse 8, look at this. Underline it. Get it in your spirit. The psalmist said in the New American Standard, I have set the Lord continually before me. This is important. Because he is, he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Now, I have set the Lord continually before me. It's intentional, it's deliberate, it's focus, 
He's saying, man, I want to put my thoughts on him. I want to put my focus on him. How do you do that, Pastor Jeff? Good question. One way is to open up your Bible. The scriptures reveal him. Another way is Psalm 62, 5 through 7 says, My soul waits in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. A few years ago, a nun from a certain uh, discipline in the, in the Catholic faith set up an appointment with me. She said she was having a retreat, and she wanted to know if I would uh, uh, help her facilitate a retreat. I, I had no concept for any of this. I said, well, explain this to me. She said, well, I, I, you know, this is part of my order, and I just, and so I thought, well, I've never done this before. And so I said, sure. So we sat and had some meetings, and uh, so I started out with the new birth, and I told her that you could be born again. She, her eyes just lit up. She was fascinated. And then I told her about you could be a new creation in Christ. She got into that. So she went home, and she got born again and became a new creation in Christ and had a great retreat. Her order also has a discipline of silence, and that's really an amazing thing. I'm very interested in it. I think it's actually of value. In fact, today I spent a lot of time praying here at church. I walked in the parking lot. I came, the building was empty, so I got to enjoy some prayer in here. And uh, when I got home, I sat, and the Lord, I was going to turn on the news. You know, he said, just sit in silence. Because I felt like God was showing me that to the degree that I did that, I would do a better job in this moment right now. And um, it reminds me of John chapter 15, that if we abide in him, you know, that, that he's the vine and we're the branches. Let's look at that. John 15, uh, 1 through, well, verse 7, I would say. He is the vine, we're the branches. John 15, verse 1. This is really, really an inside scoop on how to see greater levels of effectiveness in your public life. It's what you do in secret. The Father rewards openly. Drawing near to God has value for us. It pleases the Father for one thing. He likes it. He likes it when we just draw near to him and we want to connect with him and fellowship with him. But there's such an interesting payoff, so to speak, that to the degree that we connect with him, it'll become evident people will tell we've been with Jesus. That Galilean accent, that, that lingering atmosphere, that fragrant aroma of Christ. And we don't have to manufacture that. We don't have to put, uh, put on affectations. Just, and I've shared this, you know, my, our grandmother lived with us for 13 years after my grandfather died. And um, she wore a perfume that was so strong. And in my high school days, I would give grandma, my grandmother a hug. She, I was very close to her. And I'd hug her, and then I'd get the imprint of her, of her perfume. And I'd get on the bus, and the kids would say, Oh, Jeff, that smells so good. <laughs> and uh, it was a little traumatic, but I had the lingering fragrance of my little sweet grandma. And you get in the presence of the Lord, and there's a lingering awareness of his touch of his presence and something, something real about it. My soul waits in silence for God only, for my hope is from him. Well, John chapter 15, verse 1, look what it says. I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser, the husbandman, the, the gardener. He tends to the garden. He, he, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes it so that it may bear more fruit. Look what it says in this next verse. You are already clean. The same word for prune is clean 
because of the word which I have spoken to you. God's word clips deadness off of our lives and trims and prunes us so that we could be uh, maximized in our fruitfulness. And he, his word will continue to clip us. In fact, today we're being made aware that we're to draw near to God, fellowship with God, connect with God as actually the epicenter of our Christian life. The reason we're saved is that we might fellowship with him and love him and connect with Jesus. You want to know the center of Christianity is Jesus. You know the best part of heaven is because Jesus is there. You know the best part of all the promises and growing by faith and walking the love walk and fellowship and everything is Jesus. And Jesus is the wonderful one, the beautiful one. He's the exact representation of God. This is why we became Christians. We were so goofy and flaky and lost without him. And even on this side, we need a lot of help. So that's why we should draw near to God. We draw near to God, he'll draw near to us. Look at the rest of this. It says, abide in me and I in you as a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in me in the vine. So neither can you unless you abide in me. Now listen, apart from him, look what it says in the next verse. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, we can do nothing. So this is the exhortation from the gospel of John. Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. Now we can... Humanity could create a lot of things. We are made to be creative people. We could do a lot of things in the flesh. We could do a lot of things in, the, in our own strength. But really, things that, are, that translate for eternity, things that please God, things that you and I will be you know, appreciative of and grateful that we got to be part of have to do with to the degree that we stay in connection with the Lord. You should have seen that nun's face when she got born again. She was cool in the first place, but man, she lit up. And I knew her for years after. It was an amazing situation. And I learned from her about silence. We are a, a noisy bunch, and our world is clamoring for our attention. But my soul waits in silence for the Lord. They that wait upon the Lord will gain new strength. Connecting with God produces amazing results. He said, if you abide in him and his word abides in you, look what it says in verse 7. He bears much fruit. And then verse 6, it says, if anyone does not abide in him, he's thrown away as a branch and dries up. We've all felt that. And they gather them and cast them into the fire and they're burned. It's just a, you know, it's just a, it's chaff. It's just the wasted parts. The best part of our life is to the degree that we stay in close proximity and fellowship with God. Look at verse 7. This is monumental. Read this out loud with me. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Wow. Our prayer life is the result of our fellowship and connection with God. Times I've prayed, and I've just gone into it with rote. At some point, I'll go, God, guess what I'm doing? Well, you already know what I'm doing. And I thanks, thanks for tolerating it. I'm going to shift now. One time I was praying for a while, and the Lord was basically, hey, uh, what are you doing? And I was going through some routine, and I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is about connecting with you. When I adjusted it, it got really sweet. It got really sweet. Even, you know, you could start in the flesh. You could just sing songs, but all of a sudden, isn't it amazing? We'll sing wonderful, beautiful. We'll sing it about 75 times. Last week, a guy told me, man, I've sung that song. I've heard this one particular song, but tonight I got the revelation, and I'm so glad we sang it so much. And somebody's back in the back going, that was for that guy. Why, why do we keep singing this song? 
Because at some point we might just get it. Right? Right? Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. I have noticed that God's presence stabilizes us through whatever. Okay? Psalm 73, 21. You ready? This is good. Psalm 73, 21. Look what it says here. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within, then I was senseless and ignorant. I was like a beast before you. So these are the conditions. This guy's all upset. But then he says, nevertheless, I am continually with you. So that's the restored fellowship. In the midst of his agitation, he's going, but nevertheless, I am continually with you. You never leave me nor forsake me. You are always present to help in the time of need. You never you never uh, pull out. Uh, hallelujah. You have taken hold of my right hand. With your counsel, you will guide me and afterward receive me into glory. Now listen, look at verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you will perish, but you have destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, look at this. The nearness of God is my good. The nearness of God is my good. What a compelling statement. The best, what he's basically saying is the best part of my existence is your nearness. The best part of my life is having God present with me. Listen, it's important that we go out into the world and be in it, but not of it. And, and you know, I, I've had the opportunity to go to some couple concerts recently. And I mean, the lighting was amazing. The atmosphere was beautiful. One was in the Fox Theater. It's just one of the premier venues of the country. It's beautiful. And they keep doing a great job of keeping it nice. The, the, the air conditioning was right. The seats were comfortable. The musicianship was stellar. It was jam-packed. And... I walked away and there was something missing. I thought, eh, just having fellowship with Jesus is actually the most wonderful possession we'll ever contain or carry through our existence. He said this, he said, look what he says here, how he words this. As for me, it makes me want to cry. The nearness of God is my good. The nearness of God this is the best. This is why David said, I, I just, I'd rather be a doorkeeper and be in God than be fancy pants away from God. All the allure of stuff just falls to the ground. It's like, wait a minute. And I love that I quote this often. One day in the presence of the Lord is better than a thousand without. So if you get your calculator, a thousand days is about two and a half years. So one day for a believer on a, listen, not even feeling God's presence. One worship service. And it's like, well, yeah, okay, you know. And I look over and visitors are being touched by God and all the people around him, they're getting around him trying to see if they're okay and then they're all weeping before the Lord. Some kid with a blood issue gets healed. That's notable. These are notable miracles. He's wonderful. He inhabits the praises of his people. And listen, I'll keep going to concerts because it says people that go to concerts are happier. I'm a patron of the arts. I love it. I went to the art museum. I, I, I love it. I we breezed through there. But you know, the best part for me was to seeing my friend, the, the guard, and uh, having to talk about Jesus. And he's talk, he was concerned about the, the future of the young people. And we just, we just had this talk about Jesus. Then he told me about his grandma, and he told me about his aunt, and he told about how they prayed, and he told me some of his backstory. I was fascinated by his story. And I'm standing next to 
Van Gogh and, you know, Monet and art that's worth 30, 40 million dollars a pop, you know. But this preciousness of this fellowship with this brother for 10 minutes made everything else just a bunch of scribbles on a canvas. And I'm a big appreciator of art. And I think our art museum is amazing and you ought to go to it. It's fantastic. But you know what? You're a work of art. You're God's workmanship. Read verse 28 with me. But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord my refuge that I may tell of all your works. I have set the Lord continually before me because he is at my right hand, I will not be moved. I think this was the secret of Jesus' ministry. He connected with God and he said, I only do what I see my father doing. He didn't speak on his own volition. He wasn't self-willed. He wasn't high-minded. He didn't have a trippy agenda. He wasn't insensitive to others. He wasn't insecure about himself. He wasn't trying to prove his spirituality by how much he exerted his force. He was the amazing leader who would have a moment and then walk away and slip away. And he often slipped away to pray. It was his custom. He just wasn't flashy. He wasn't showing off. He said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, for I'm gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. There's nobody like Jesus. But as for me, the nearness of God is, can I, I'll rephrase it, is the best part of my life. I was telling God today and yesterday, thank you, Jesus, for the privilege of knowing you. Thank you for any iota or measure of your anointing of your Holy Spirit. What a privilege that we could pray. Just, I mean, listen, I got this as a Christian before I even knew I was called in any kind of ministry. And I would pray for a church service. And I would sit toward the back and I would just watch God answer all my prayers. I would think, and I'd just be quiet and watch it. This is fascinating. You mean I could pray? If I abide in you and your word abides in me, I could ask whatever I wish and it'll be done for me by my Father who's in heaven? Cool, I'm gonna keep doing this. God, your presence is the best part of what I'll ever have in my life? Right? Number two. Let's be quick to obey. Obedience begets blessing. It says in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19, Isaiah chapter 1, verse 19, it's just a very strong, great word. If you consent or you're willing and obedient, you will eat the best of the land. That's the opposite. Consent or willingness is the opposite of obstinance. It's just yielding. And obedience is compliance. It's just saying, yes, God, I'm going to do what you want me to do. And I want to be prompt and thorough to obey you. Obey the general commands of Scripture. Obey the subtle promptings of the Holy Spirit. Don't yield to your flesh. Discipline yourself. Continue to be obedient. Obedience begets blessing. Say that. Obedience begets blessing. If you're willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. Then it warns, it says, but if we disobey and refuse and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. So there's two sides to these things. That's the warning part. The incentive part is to stay on the sunny side of it and be uh, obedient. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 13 through 16. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. That's, kind of, that's what we're doing tonight. We're preparing our minds for action. We're in God's house 
We're enrolled as students. We're life learners. We're studying to show ourselves approved. We're crucifying our flesh. We're feeding our spiritual life. We're hungering and thirsting after God. <laughs> and we're growing in God. And the Holy Spirit's speaking things to us. While I'm preaching, the Holy Spirit is your teacher. He'll take things and he'll, he'll lead you in a direction and show you stuff maybe totally unrelated to what I'm preaching, but stir something in you and you'll carry it home and it'll be effective for you and you'll be a doer of it and you'll see a great result. He said, prepare your minds for action, keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I fix my hope on the living God. We have this hope as the anchor for our souls. We are extremely hopeful people in the midst of hopelessness in the world. We're hopeful when all circumstances seem hopeless. God is our helper, but then he sent another helper. God's our comforter, and he sends another comforter. God's our advocate, and yet he sends the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you, hallelujah, the precious Holy Spirit of God is on to the business of this. He will help us to draw near to God. He'll help you cultivate an amazing relationship and fellowship and walk with the Lord. He'll move you into a level of sincerity and thoroughness and favor and blessing as you yield to him. And you'll see it in the subtle areas of your life, the medium areas of your life, the big areas of your life, because he's faithful. He gives life and breath to all. He doesn't hold back wisdom. He has a plan for each and every one of us. So we fix our hope completely on the grace of God and on the revelation that Jesus, and it says in verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all your behavior because as it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. So we conduct ourselves with fear while we're on this world, not timidity, not cowardice, not uh, anxiety, but reverence. And God is so holy. Can I tell you something? I've been on some of the most beautiful, pristine mountain streams up in the Sierra Mountains in California, in the Rocky Mountains. I've been in places where the water looks so pure, the freshness of the water. But I knew even the freshest water, running water, and the swiftest stream, if you got a microscope on it, there would be particles in it. Also, I've looked in some of the high altitude above the smog layers of cities, and I've gone up in the precious places of, of, of seeing the clear, fresh mountains, the Alps of Switzerland, and, and, and the vividness and the sharpness and the crystal clarity of the air. But I'm telling you, if you took a sample of the air and put it under a microscope, there'd be particles in it. And, but yet, I'm telling you, you get with God, and you get in his presence, and you try to, you get a microscope on him, and there are, if there are no little particles. There are no, listen, I, I have had, I got a glass of water. We did an experiment when I was in, in elementary school, and our teacher was into science and put all, everything under a lens. There were squigglies in what I thought was pure, clear water. Squigglies. That's the best way I could describe them. They're little protozoa, little microorganisms. They, on the magnifier, 16 times, you can see a little bitty faint, little squiggly, 32 times, oh, what's that? 64 times, creepy, 100 and whatever times. That thing looks like some sort of beginning of a dinosaur. And that was in the water I was gonna throw down? 
But I'm telling you what, God is absolutely flawless, wonderful, beautiful, pure, holy. And when it says, be holy for I am holy, then it makes us all feel a cringe of, oh God, I, I, I've, it's like Peter said, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. There's sin consciousness that's so present in humanity because we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and we're all aware. You know, that's why David said, forgive me of my presumptuous sins and that kind of thing. And yet, the blood of Jesus can actually cleanse us from the consciousness of sin where we're not preoccupied with it. And he actually cleans us with his shed blood. The, the blood of Jesus cleanses us of all unrighteousness. Isn't that great? So we are created in Christ for good works. We've been purged, purified, and refined. And we've been sanctified and made useful for the master's work. We who were who once not a people are now the people of God so we could draw near. We have a spirit of adoption. And we have the legal groundwork to be able to stand before God and say, I'm with him. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. And the life I now live, I live by faith in him. Jesus, you are amazing and I love you. So we come to church exhausted. Some of you work 70 hours. You've got eight kids. You're trying to juggle your bills and you just come and it's like, oh man, hallelujah. And it's like, God is a force to be contended with. An ever-present help in the time of need. Amazing things can transpire in a moment like this. And when we obey him, we'll see a great result. I want to encourage you to stay obedient to the Lord. Stay obedient to the scriptures. The Bible says obey those in authority over us. There's a submission component that's very rare right now, but we've got to have a humble heart about that. And be a doer of the word, it says in James chapter 1, and not just merely hearers only who delude themselves. And when we obey the scriptures, the scripture says something amazing. This man, this woman, this child will be blessed in what he, she, or they do. You're a blessing waiting to happen. And greater manifestations of God's good can take place after a kind of a study of this kind of consideration. As you just ponder this, get out, get unstuck from your stuff and just get your eyes on Jesus. Quit trying to get all performance oriented. And if you, if you need to, for the first moments of the next 75 times you pray, go ahead and just say, okay, God, you know, here I am. You know, and just kind of work through that. And then go, but yet, I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And what the scripture says, I am, I, what, I am who you say I am. I'm a new creation in Christ. The love of Christ compels me. I am governed and ruled by compassion. Mercy triumphs over judgment. I'm walking this thing out by faith. Number three, turn your troubles into prayers. I have two major verses on this. Turn your trouble into prayers. Turn vain imaginations into intercession. Turn your troubles into prayers. What do you mean by that, Pastor Jeff? Well, I'm glad you asked. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, six through 8. I'm reading it again in the New American Standard. Let's, let's just read this before we finish. Number one, what's the number one point? Draw near to God. Number two, what are we supposed to do? Obey Him. And number three, we turned our troubles into prayers. In other words, Philippians chapter 4, it articulates this excellently. Philippians chapter 4, verse 4, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your gentle, patient, forbearing, sweet spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Remember, draw near to God. The Lord is near. He's drawn near to us. 
Do you know Jesus is here right now? Jesus is listening to us. Jesus is watching over us. Jesus, in fact, lives in us. Jesus has his hand on your life. Verse 6, be anxious, don't worry, don't sweat the small stuff. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. One translation says it this way, don't worry about anything, instead, pray about everything. So you get hit with some dynamite, you take it to the Lord. You get hit with stuff you didn't know about, Thank you, God, for revealing this. Now I could pray about it. And you take it before the Lord. Doctor says a thing to you about a situation. You go, okay, thanks for the information. Facts are friends. Then you immerse yourself in the truth. Well, by his doing, Jesus has borne my sicknesses and carried my diseases. He and his substitutionary work as a major component of redemption has brought healing. There was healing in Jesus' ministry. All Christians acknowledge that, that believe the Bible, but he never has diminished in his intent to bring healing to people in their lives. He's the Lord that heals us. They prayed in Acts chapter four, stretch forth your hand to heal, that signs and wonders would be done in the name of your son, Jesus. Troubles, you see your kids rebelling. You know rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. You take authority over it. You rebuke the devil. You come against him and all of his temptation. Then you pray laborers cross the path of those kids. Oh, you sound like my mom. You, you, you remind me of my dad. I've seen that. I've had that happen so many times. Who's ever had that happen? You've been out there and it's like, oh, you, you, you sound like my sister. We were, I, we, we were at the, the fragrance counter famous bar. There was a new fragrance. Patsy liked it. We bought the spray bottle. And the girl said, there's something different about you guys. Oh, well, okay. And you remind me of my sister. Well, what, what, and we found out her sister had recently become a Christian. So we said, well, that's the similarity. And I mean, it was fascinating. It went from a, moment, a conventional purchase of a fragrance with a clerk to having a biblical book of Acts encounter and an interchange with a reinforcement that, yeah, your sister's stuff is legitimate. It's real. You detect the Galilean accent and it can happen to you too. Hallelujah. Verse six, let your requests be made known to God. For some reason, God wants us to pray. And I wanna tell you about prayer. Why pray? Because God made it that way. Isn't that amazing? If you wanna know the theology of prayer, it's that God created it so we could draw near to him, obey him, connect with him, turn our troubles into requests, let our requests be made known to God. And I love Mark chapter 11, verse 24. It says, all things for which we pray and ask, believing, believing we receive them, we shall have them. Now, some of you kids, you've been in the kingdom for a long time. That's not a magic wand. That's not like, well, if you just get wishful and just you know, ask for a bunch of stuff flippantly, that's not what it says. It's gotta be scriptural. It's gotta be something that you are solid with that is, is God's will. You gotta, you know, kind of mull it over and check it out. Don't be so quick with it. But once you realize, okay, this is biblical. This is God's will. I'm praying in faith. I have faith for it because I see it in the scriptures. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I bind the chaos and the devil over our country and I pray you bring healing in our land. We humble ourselves. We pray. We seek your face. We turn from our wicked ways. 
And God, that you forgive our sins and heal our land. And I trust you for it. God, get a hold of my kids. Great is the peace of my children for they're taught of the Lord and the welfare of my son shall be great. Train them up in the way they should go. When they're old, they'll not depart. Amen? Don't worry about anything. Pray about everything. Matthew 6, 6. I love this because it goes right back to that draw near to God and uh, waiting in silence for the Lord. We are not in a contemplative society. We're in a busy, loud, weapons of mass distraction Western civilization. But we need to cultivate sensibilities about what Jesus would often do. He would often slip away. I urge you to turn your phone off, leave it in the car, leave it at the house, have some moratorium time off from it, turn the TV off, go and get in a place where you can have some solitude. If you have to sit in the car in the driveway or the garage, do it. I used to lock myself in the bathroom and I would sit in there and I'd, I'd wait on the Lord. I'd play some music that didn't have any lyrics to it. And it was just some simple melodies and I'd just get tuned in and you kind of track what has helped you in your past and, and what's helped you. Some of you would thrive out in the woods, but I would tell you if you go out in the woods, get off the trails. And the reason for that is because I, one time I was kneeling on the trail, the horse trails at a park nearby and I was crying. I got to a point where I was weeping before the Lord. I'm out there just having this time before God. And, and, and I looked up and a lady comes walking by in the middle of the woods. I, I never went back there again. I've had so many prayer closet invasions. I was out by St. Charles by the river. I was crying and seeking God. I turned around and a guy's walking down the trail. Oh, I have a trot line over here. I'm going to go check it. And he pulls out this catfish. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, hey, how's it going, man? And... One time I was in the woods, I covered myself up with leaves, and I was laying there off the trail, covered with leaves, and I had my hoodie on, I had my face, and I had all the leaves, all because I was staying insulated, and I was laying there going, <laughs> and a guy walks up to me and goes, you all right, man? Now imagine that guy. I am covered up with leaves, and I only, you can only see a human head. Not even a whole head, just a face. Not just a face, a crying man laying on his back, sobbing in the middle of the woods. And I went, oh yeah, man. Hey, did you see that owl fly by? <laughs> and I'll tell you what, the devil hates your fellowship with God because he doesn't have fellowship with God. He hates it, and he will try to hinder it. In fact, I pray, you know, for our church family, I pray on your daily personal lives, you're enriched with this connection, deep connection with God, okay? I'm praying that for our church services and fellowship, that when we come together, always we're connecting, you know? And we're fellowshipping with God. We're not trying to be spooky, and we're not trying to, we're trusting God, we're believing God, we're for the essential connection, and we're believing God that more and more and more and more people will, be, will flock to come to know the Jesus that we know. Say, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. Obey God, obedience begets blessing. Turn your troubles into prayers. This is how I'll finish. Turn your vain imaginations into intercessions. It's very similar. We don't worry about anything. We pray about everything. So this is bothering me, Father. So I find the scripture. Having done all to stand, I stand. 
There's financial lack, my God shall supply all my needs. There's sickness, by Jesus' stripes I am healed. There's rebellion, I take authority over it in the name of Jesus. You know, there's this climate of, of hate and hostility. God, Jesus will not be ignored under my watch. Jesus will be made famous while we're alive on this earth. We will make his name known. We will lift him up. We will honor and exalt him. Amen. Amen. 